0: think my um, microphone is on, yes? You can hear all right? Yes. All right. <clears throat> uh, first of all, the, uh, the poem I shared with you, that's a poem by Kabir again. Um, Kabir apparently was both a um, Hindu and a Muslim. Um, and he was interested in, uh, you know, true spiritual practice, not just the forms. Um, <clears throat> so he sometimes would make fun of people who, um, you know, had the right kind of um, um, practices and, and um, you know, robes and things. But inside, you know, they, he said, they don't have it, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Interesting. But, um, and that poem, you know, starts out with talking about, you know, there's no... There's no river to cross, there's no boat, there's no ford, there's no tow rope, no one to pull it, no body and no mind. So he says, um, enter into your own body, there you'll find a solid place to put your feet. So he brings you back from this um, no road, no path, no crossing, nowhere to get to, to be in your uh, body, enter into your life, find your ground in your being. And uh, then he says, uh, throw away uh, all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm. Be firmly yourself. Throw away all thoughts of imaginary things. And there's so many of those. I was just, um, uh, for instance, talking with a friend today. I said, I can't do that on my computer. And she said, I can't either. (laughs) And she said, That's why I like you. (laughs) (laughs) You're another person who's not skillful and savvy. I mean, shouldn't we be, you know, have this? We have this idea. I could be skillful, I could be savvy. I could be clever. I could get somewhere. I could become someone. It's all imaginary. But if you just dismiss all that that's imaginary, what do you how do you live your life? I mean, how are you going to buy groceries? You need to <laughs> get to yourself to the store and Get out your money or your credit card or something. Get some groceries. Um, So I'm going to try to talk tonight about these two worlds. Um, You know, on one hand, uh, spiritual practice is about um, connecting vertically. Or enter into your body. There you'll find a solid place. And we're in this um, oneness or vertical world here. But then what about all these things, and how are we going to relate to things? Um, I follow sports a little bit, so a while back there was a football player and somebody asked him, do you feel like you dominated in that game? And he said, excuse me, but this morning when I woke up, I dominated breakfast. I dominate everything I do. <laughs> how about you? <laughs> Is that your idea of how to get through life? You know? I was never you know big enough or strong enough or tough enough to dominate everything I do. I had to take a different strategy. <laughs> Uh, And one of my students recently has been saying that her, um, that what she's interested in, she said, I want to know how to be kind and compassionate, but not be a doormat. So which is which? You know, um, in this world, and then we hear, let's just accept, and we just go inside, and it's okay, and... You can accept and be mindful and work with your emotions, and you can be clear and calm. And but then there's things to respond to. And then what do we do? I, um, for instance, you know, I, I I've cooked for many years now. I started cooking about the same time I started Zen practice, nineteen sixty-five. So when I started cooking, I, I wanted to please people. I mean, isn't the point to please people? And then it turned out, you know, the, when the oatmeal was thick, there was a group of people who came and said, the oatmeal's too thick. <laughs> you know, food at breakfast time, it should be easy to digest. It should be, you know, cook it a long time and very gelatinous, and then you can easy to digest it. And then if I cook it like that, another group comes in and says, you know, we are digging that septic tank outside by hand. (laughs) And if we're all, we're eating this oatmeal, we should at least be able to chew it. (laughs) Oh, maybe I'll put some raisins in. And third group of people comes in. Don't you know that sugar is poison? (laughs) Why are you poisoning everybody? When I started, it was macrobiotics rather than vegan, you know, so it's a different era. Now, eat all the sugar you want, (laughs) because that's vegan. Um, You know, no animals are killed in the process, so all the sugar, fat. uh. So what what do we do, you know, so in other words, um, you know, we're seeing if we can settle into our own body, into our own being, connecting to source and connecting to ground. Uh, Zen Master Dogen said, when you, when you practice uh, and you sit in this way and you're connection, in connection, up and down, uh, guides and benefactors will uh, descend from the heavens and emerge from the earth. Because otherwise you're going to be busy trying to please the people who want the dry cereal that you can chew and please, how do you do it? How are you going to live your life so that nobody has any problem with the way you do it? (laughs) I tried. And when I tried to do that kind of life, I'm very unhappy, because all the time people have complaints. You're not doing what I want. You're not doing what would make me happy. W- what's wrong with you? I thought you were a Buddhist teacher. I thought you were a meditator. Can't you make me happy too? Can't you do what I want you to? What's your problem? <laughs> so this is a, a curious phenomenon that... Um, Connecting horizontally, you know, with people and things and how to do things. Uh, There's no simple way to do it. Uh, And, you know, a simple, clear way to do it and get it right. So if you're aiming to live a life that's right, you're you're going to have problems. So I wanted, to, I wanted to live a life that's right. And then you might also want to you know meditate the right way. And then you will, in order to know if you're meditating the right way, you'll have to have some standards, some way to assess yourself. And if any of you have tried this, you know. If you're busy assessing yourself or measuring how well you're meditating, you're never going to be good enough. <laughs> and, uh, but if you settle into your own body, there you'll find a solid place to put your feet. You're not busy assessing or measuring, and you're good enough. Then when you go back and start assessing, you'll find you're not good enough. <laughs> Throw away all thoughts of imaginary things. It's imaginary whether or not you're meditating well or poorly. It's just what you think. It's just some assessment you're making. Or what kind of person you are. You just make it up. Just imagine. I'm a nice person. I'm a bad person. You know, I'm almost 70 and I just recently realized I have a lot of shame I've been meditating for years and, I st- and it hasn't impacted this level of shame which is shame is there's something fundamentally inherently wrong with me and I'm not good enough. And if you feel that inside then you start looking outside for the evidence. You'll find it. <laughs> so stop it. Do you know that Bob Newhart been on YouTube stop it you know you can go on YouTube and you can watch Bob Newhart he gives therapy to a woman who has um, she says I I have a terrible fear of being buried alive in a box he says oh that must be awful and he tells her you know like well you know first before we get started now let me tell you how I do this you have five minutes and I charge five dollars and I don't make change Is that okay? And she says, all right. That sounds too good to be true. All right. And then he says, okay, start. And she says, well, I have a deadly fear of being buried alive in a box. And um, she says, really, and how, what? And she says, yeah, and I I don't like being in elevators or in cars or in tunnels. And, And he says, well, that must be terrible for you. She says, well, yeah, it is terrible. And he says... So finally he says, and so very quickly he says, you know, I have two words for you. Um, and she says, should I write them down? <laughs> he says, most people can get these two words. Are you ready? And he says, stop it. <laughs> and she says, stop it? He says, it's two words, S-T-O-P, space, I-T, period. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Go inside, you know. Throw away these imaginary things. <laughs> Just stop, stop assessing, you know, measuring. Uh, easier said than done, obviously, you know. But I realized I had all this shame, and then, and then I, what do you do? And then, how come my practice doesn't help me? Because, because if you, when you, when you feel shame, you. you can really be in the grip of it. So you need to do something to uh, walk or qigong or sit to enter into your own body. Find a solid place to put your feet. I also cook. And I practice tasting things carefully. (laughs) So you find something to do.
1: Um,
0: So again, you know, there's this... uh, Spiritual practice often emphasizes this vertical world, but actually, this vertical world doesn't give you the uh, directions or instructions how to actually relate to things of this world, except, you know, we, we try various things, we try to say various things, but it's not going to help you do it right. So I want to tell you um, a couple of stories about this. Well, one in particular about my teacher, Suzuki Roshi, Japanese man, Zen teacher. I actually happen to have this book of his talks, Not Always So. It's a beautiful photo on the cover. I don't know that you can see it, but there it is. There he is. Uh, many people know him from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Um, and there's a beautiful picture of him on the back cover of that book as well. That's one of the world's best-selling uh, Buddhist books, it turns out. Uh, And we were practicing with Suzuki Roshi during the Vietnam War Uh, and I wasn't there, but apparently uh, one night uh, he had given a lecture and then a student in the back of the room said, "Uh, Roshi, uh, Roshi, you know, there's a peace march on Saturday. Shouldn't we all be protesting the war, be it to go to the peace march and protest the war? which world are we in? And uh, Roshi either uh, was selectively deaf or didn't, was trying to figure out what to say wasn't saying anything and uh, someone right in the front row said Roshi he's, he's saying you know um, that there's a peace march on Saturday and he thinks that we should all be at the peace march and protest the war uh, don't you think so? And apparently Roche leapt to his feet and he had, you know, a little stick. And he jumped up and to this person in the first row and started hitting him. <laughs> and of course, if he was going to hit you like that, you would like, you get your head out of the way, you know, and so you can hit your shoulder or your back. And, um, and of course, that was not the person who asked the question originally. He was just <laughs> <laughs> the person who passed the question on. And he started hitting, and he was saying, where do you think the war is? Bam, bam, bam. It's right here. It's right here. It's not anywhere else. Bam, bam. And um, then he sat down, and apparently he was quite white and pale looking, and he said, I'm not angry. (laughs) So what, the, what I've come to understand about this is that, um, you know, uh, it's not a matter of um, what we all should or shouldn't be doing. What, do you, what are you going to do? Because if somebody said to Roshi, uh, excuse me, Roshi, I know there's a sitting here on Saturday, but there's also a peace march, and I, I want to go to the peace march on Saturday, he would say, well, why don't you go to the peace march? And if you said, Roshi, there's a peace march on Saturday, but you know, I, what I really want to do is come and sit with you here, you'd say, well, why don't you come and sit? But as soon as somebody said, shouldn't we all be marching to protest the war? <laughs> bam, bam, bam. And I have a feeling for this because uh, one time my parents were going to go to Japan. And they said, would you like to come with us? So I said to Roshi, my parents are thinking about going to Japan. They're wondering if I want to go. Uh, and he said, Well, why don't you go? Said, oh, yeah, why don't I go? And a week went by, and a couple of weeks went by, and I went to Roshi, and I said, You know, Roshi, I don't want to go to Japan. I'd like to just stay here and practice with you. He said, Well, why don't you stay here then? <laughs> And I hesitate to tell this story, but I'll tell you one other story about <laughs> this mean person. <laughs> um, one of the students at Tassahara had become um, uh, quite devoted to being a vegetarian, which at Tassahara is not that complicated. We're serving vegetarian food. And uh, one day he was on a town trip uh, from Tassahar, it's about a two hour drive uh, into Carmel. So they were, uh, and he, Suzuki Roshi and this student went into a town and they were getting on errands and getting different things. And at some point Roshi said, um, Let's get some lunch. And the student was very concerned um, where were they going to eat? Because this is the 60s now. Uh, and Roshi said, Let's eat over there. It was a diner and the student got kind of mortified and worried. What am I going to eat at this diner? And he finally was like, oh, there's a grilled cheese sandwich, I can order that. So he ordered a grilled cheese sandwich. And Suzuki Roshi ordered a hamburger double meat. (laughs) So then they were sitting in a booth and they each got their food. And um, they each had a bite of their food And Roshi said to the student, Oh, how's your sandwich? And the student said, Oh, it's good. It's good. And Roshi said, I don't like mine. Let's switch. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very interesting. You know what? Is there something to... When you live your life, are you going to have this backup that it's you understand and believe it's the right thing, or is it what you feel like when you settle into your body, and you're in your own being, and you know in your heart how you want to do things and how you want to live your life, and then you... And then you can you share what you have to share. You offer what you have to offer. Your good, your good heart, your spirit. You share that with others. Um, but then, do you say everybody should be doing this? Mm-hmm. What do you do? You know, this is very interesting. You know what's this, and what is a what is a spiritual life, and how does that relate with? how you how you live so um you know i think we're all um we're clearly all we're here because we are practicing we're interested in things we're studying how to uh have a um a, a, a spiritual life Uh, we 've seen something about how um, just trying to be a success in the material world um, isn 't quite enough in material terms and and we 've seen how um, how what kind of arguments people can get into and fights um, and yet we want to um, and and we want to be kind and compassionate and we don't want to be a doormat <clears throat> So I'd like to shift now um, to the, um, and talk about this in a little different way in the world of cooking. Uh, Somehow when I thought about coming here tonight, I I was remembering an article I wrote for Shambhala Sun. It turns out it was in 2010. And Shambhala Sun finally called it, uh, Letting Your Passion Cook. Letting Your Passion Cook. Uh, And um, sometimes passion gets a bad name, you know, like, oh, we're Buddhists, so you need to, you practice dispassion, you know, or compassion, but not (laughs) passion-passion. But um, uh, passion is also, um, you know, heart. It's your life force. It's your goodness. And deep, deep, you know, deep feeling coming from, you know, way down from, from the earth, passion, you know, resources from below and your connection up and you have some passion in your life and you want to uh, find a way to use that passion. Because if you don't, what happens? You know, you, you, you'll make yourself small and you'll try to do everything right and pretty soon you don't feel alive inside. And passion is gone. So this is very interesting to me. Um, how to how are we going to have some passion in our life now? You know, there's other words for this in Buddhism. Coincidentally, before I had dinner uh, with one of the people I had dinner with tonight was James Perez. So yeah, you know. So you can call it joy. You can call it ease. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's your it's your, and it's also energy. Energy. So, how are you going to uh, manifest your energy in your life? Uh, And again, if you just—and I'm saying this in different ways—but if when we just uh, trying to do what we're supposed to do, and what's the right thing to do, shouldn't we be going to the peace march? You know, shouldn't we be this? Shouldn't we be that? And then, if you're when you're doing that, it's hard to be passionate Unless you're passionate, is being telling everybody else that they should be doing it too, <laughs> and then um, you'll find you don't have very good connection with them. <laughs> uh, either they uh, want you to, you know, relax, or they um, will fight back. No, you're wrong. <laughs> so this is so. Um, Uh, It's possible though to have some passion and energy, or so this is also, you know, our creativity. And interestingly enough, while we're trying to find out how to live in the world and how to connect with things and how to cook or drive or relate to people or communicate, and it just, you know, meditation. Meditation might help you settle into yourself, into your body, into your, put your feet, you know, settle, um, settle into your body, find a solid place to put your feet. But when it comes to communication skills, you don't just communicate better because you know how to have your awareness in your feet. (laughs) You don't just cook better because you have your awareness in your feet, because you have some clarity about your being, some sense of your own presence. So, um, actually relating with the world, you, there's a lot of skills to learn. Uh, the famous example, you know, is Jack's, Jack's book on, you know, after the ecstasy, the laundry. And there's still, there's actually these things to do. You may have enlightenment, but now there's laundry to do. What, what's with that? And... And classically, all these, the, the, the monks who, people who became monks at 18 and stopped at 38 and now in relationship to women, they're 17 again. <laughs> because they didn't go, th- they didn't, they didn't have that experience. You only learn how to relate with the opposite sex by relating with the opposite sex. You don't learn about that by sitting and facing, you know, and, you know, going inside and you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't work that out and how to handle money you know and how to make good choices in your every in this everyday world you can get very good at meditating and then but in the everyday world you don't know what to do how do you do this so it's funny but it's kind of two different things and i don't know that we always appreciate this like why isn't my if my if i was any good at meditation everything would just work better <laughs> without my actually having to study how to make it work better. The dishes, the food, would just come together. <laughs> I thought after 20 years at Zen Center, when I drove down the freeway, the cars would get out of my way. <laughs> it's,
1: it's like,
0: Didn't you know I'm a spiritual person? And, and then, But they're all saying, you're a spiritual person, so you can be patient. <laughs> you're good at being patient and just sitting deal with it. (laughs) So interesting. So um, uh, one of the simple stories about this is um, my friend Gil Fronsdale, some of you may know Gil Fronsdale because he's the teacher at the um, Insight Meditation Center down on the peninsula Palo Alto and Menlo Park and now they have a retreat center towards Santa Cruz in the mountains. And everything is uh, on a donation, everything is, uh, there's no paid people. Um, my ex-wife, coincidentally, is now studying with Gil.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she mostly lives in Switzerland and France, and she says, and I just, and I can have the teaching, just streaming online, and I have interviews on Skype, and, you know, and, and then occasionally they come to California and she says, and their business model, it's just spectacular. I really love their business model. Um, I go to the, re- you know, you send them a check ahead of time for $200, $250. When you get there, they give it back to you. That's just to hold your spot. And then at the end of the, re- towards the end of the retreat, they say, you know, the retreat's free and we'd like you to make a donation so that it can be free for the next group of people. And they keep collecting money so it's free for the next group of people. She says that's great. So isn't that interesting? so? There's another way to do things. Interesting, huh? Rather than charging. <clears throat> Coincidentally, I have a friend on the East Coast who listened to my Dharma talks online, and then um, oh, we we got together. She was sending me donations. I thought, wow, this is somebody I don't know, and but she loved my talks, and it turns out that she started a course to teach people how to work with money because she'd been through too many bankruptcies herself (laughs) and then she was learning about how to handle money so she started doing courses and uh, there was one course she was going to do and nobody had signed up so she thought uh, she changed her signs like two or three days before the course was supposed to start free course on how to handle money and she got all these people to sign up and then about the fourth or fifth week she said This course is free. Now I want you to think about paying something so the next group of people can be free. This is the same idea. It's pretty interesting. Um, And one of the things she does in terms of working with money, she does uh, you know gestalt therapy. So there's two chairs and one is you and the other chair is money. (laughs) And then you sit in your chair and you say, like, what is with you anyway? You know? (laughs) And then money says, and what's with you? When you, you go and sit, then you switch chairs, you know, like in Gestalt therapy. So you can be money talking back to yourself um, and about what's what, and you find out things because you take these two chairs. Not because you did meditation, anyway. So um, uh, the story that Gil tells, anyway, about, you know, he, he was, um, I know Gil because he was um, at the Zen Center, in fact, as far as I know, when he first came to Zen Center, whenever that was in the early 70s, I was the person who opened the front door of Zen Center. Uh-huh. And there was Gil. So we've known each other ever since. And then in 1987, he was at Green Gulch. He was the head of the meditation hall at Green Gulch. And he said, Ed, let's go to IMS in the fall. Why don't you come with me? I'm planning to go. I said, oh, okay. So I went to IMS for the three-month course in the fall of 87. Um, thanks to Gil. Thanks to Gil. Anyway, Gil says, uh, since he's done both Vipassana and Zen, you know, he says, in Japan, everybody likes raking. And in Japan, they say, when you rake, just rake. Got it? And he says, in Southeast Asia, they say, when you rake, watch your mind. (laughs) So in Japan, when the group of monks are out raking, (coughs) when you rake, just rake, rake, rake. And... um, then there's dust in the air and they're out there working. In the, in the Southeast Asia, he says, they just stand there.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're, they're busy watching their mind.
1: <laughs>
0: and the rake doesn't move. <laughs> um, and I told this to um, Gil and I actually share another, um, a, a teacher who's a Zen teacher, aside from teachers like Jack Cornfield, who we also share as Vipassana teachers, and um, uh, Mel Weitzman, who has the Berkeley Zen Center, Mel said, oh, it sounds like they still think their minds are up here, <laughs> rather than the rake is your mind, your hands are your mind, everything is mind, your action is mind, um, you know, and when you watch your mind, you're also watching your activity, So, but, but this again is like, what are we doing? How do you, how do you, how do you, what are you going to do when you rake, you know? (laughs) And do you rake? Oh, no, I don't, no, I don't rake because it's not spiritual enough. And it's not interesting enough and it's no fun. (laughs) So, I decided somehow, I don't know how this happened, but I decided when I cook, you know, I I mean, I want to know how to cook so I have something to eat. I'm sorry. You know, this is this very practical. What am I going to do? I need to eat. I better learn how to cook. This is not complicated. <laughs> so I started learning how to cook. And then I've been cooking ever since, and now in my family, um, Margot did the illustrations, where, you know, of, of Ponce, but you know, I do the cooking. <laughs> and I write about that in here. you know) um, I'm not going to read the book. That's a, But if any of you want to know about the book reading that's coming up on the fifteenth of February, you come and see me afterwards. I'll let you know. Um, so this is very interesting to me. Um, you know. Uh, yes, we want to be. We're interested in being stable and not getting upset, and you know. But on what? But also, like, are you going to do something, or you know? What's important here? <laughs> I went, for instance, to Plum Village one year, uh, and they said, well, you, well, who, can somebody work in the kitchen? Oh, no, you know, don't, don't be too quick to say yes. You're not going to be able to go to the Dharma Talk. We have loudspeakers in the kitchen, so you'll hear the Dharma Talk, but you won't be there. You'll be working. I said, I can do that. So not a problem. So I'm in the kitchen, like, chop, 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 chop. And they said, could you slow down? Could you be more mindful? Could you be more calm?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: oh, I'm sorry. I thought I'd get some work done. <laughs> um, and so I'm more in the Zen school. You know, when you, when you, when you cook, cook. Rather than when you cook, be mindful. <laughs> and so when I started cooking, Suzuki Roshi said, When you wash the rice, wash the rice. When you cut the carrots, cut the carrots. When you stir the soup, stir the soup. Do what you're doing. Uh, and find a way in that sense, and this is more the emphasis in Zen. How are you going to use your energy and your vitality and put it into your life? And the simple way in Zen is whatever you're doing, do that. Take your energy and put it into washing the dishes, you know, sweeping the floor, uh, cooking the food, eating the food. Put your energy into doing what you're doing, and find out how to do that. Because if you're just focused on doing the right thing and not the wrong thing, pretty soon you don't have much. You know, you don't have good energy because you are always stopping to see if is it the right thing, is it not the right thing, and. And you get a little feeling of being boxed in, if I may say. Now, you may have a different experience. That's fine. Okay. And um, recently I was talking with a friend of mine from Germany, and he's a jeweler. And he said, you can always tell the people who have gone to school as jewelers and the people who trained in somebody else's jewelry shop. Because if you train in somebody else's shop, time is money, and you get it done. If you go to jewelry school, you can go really slowly. <laughs> uh, so this is very interesting, but it's a little bit the difference between um, the feeling in vipassana and feeling in Zen, <clears throat> and. Um, Well, just I I do want to say one other thing, though, um, about all that. You know, I'm not trying to say that one is better than the other, that it's better to, you know, you put some energy into what you're doing and, you know, um, uh, manifest your vitality, manifest your passion, do something with your life, do something with your energy. I I like that and I appreciate that. Um, And obviously, we can also reflect. You know, so you don't want to just be acting, having action and not reflection. So we want to have a good balance of reflection and action. And also I want to mention that um, I found, after 20 years of Zen and I did 20 years of Vipassana, um, I have another student who um, did Zen for about 10 years and then uh, she started studying Vipassana and then she used to call me up and say, Ed, they're actually teaching Buddhism. (laughs) And it's after you've been doing Zen and you come to Vipassana Center and you listen to Vipassana teachers, and it's like, oh my goodness, there actually is a Buddhism. It's not just throw yourself into the activity. <laughs> no, you, can, you can practice joy, you can practice ease, you can practice mindfulness. And, and Vipassana teachers can give you the most exquisite, excellent instruction, which I have. Um, you know, spent my time with for 20 years, so I don't want to be dismissive of either tradition in that sense. Um, But uh, tonight I'm thinking a lot about this. How do you, you know, the difference between being absorbed in the inner world and how do you connect into your life? And it's very curious because um, if you're going to actually do something that is you. You know, in a way, if you... uh, uh, Let me finish that sentence. Uh, If you're going to do something that is you, uh, you know, you have to... It's going to be creative and nobody will have done it before. And the more you spend your time, is it the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? Am I doing well? Am I doing poorly? When you're spending your mental focus on how well or poorly you're doing and assessing yourself, you won't know actually what's going on inside because you're busy assessing. So nobody's home inside. So this is the imaginary things is, these thoughts of imaginary things is all of these assessments, Kabir says put them, let go of all the thoughts of all imaginary things, enter into your body, find a solid place to put your feet, And then, uh, you know, as far as what to do, you know, it's more like dream, dreaming, dream up what to do. Offer what you have to offer, share what you have to share. Uh, And a lot of that is our, you know, just our good heartedness, our presence of mind. How are you? Um, And uh, being with the everyday things of our lives. And mostly we're not going to be able to do, you know, big things but we can try sometimes i think maybe maybe one day i'll write my real book but in the meantime
1: <laughs> offer what i have to offer
0: <laughs> so interesting uh you know we um, the I probably should stop pretty soon i don't know how long am I, when am I supposed to stop yeah, I'll stop 9:15. oh nine fifteen okay oh let's, let's stop early um, the um excuse me, I lost track there because I started thinking about the time. Oh, what I was going to say is, um, and then we'll go on to one other thing. What I was going to remind you, you know, um, this life is pretty challenging. And um, we're here because we've noticed this. You know? I, I, uh, you know, um, a few years back, um, some of you may, you know, maybe more people than I realized, but I was in a movie at one point in 2007 about cooking and it was made by Doris Dory, who's a German film producer, director. Incredible woman who doesn't understand like why everybody else isn't as incredible as she is. She told me a story. I'll tell you this story before I tell you the other story. Um, but she had just been, every, every year about June, at the end of the school year, she teaches at the Film Institute in uh, Munich, Mm -hmm. she takes her students on a trip someplace. So that year they had gone to the Canary Islands, 500 euros for a week including the plane fare. And they got to the hotel and the students said, Doris, we can't stay here. Because it it was kind of run down and a little dirty and And she said, oh, why not? This is great. (laughs) And then she, um, and it was like all the food, all the drink inclusive. So there were these little women from England who would sip sherry in the all afternoon.
1: Oh, have some honey.
0: (laughs) And uh, Doris said to her students, I want you to go out and meet refugees from Africa and find out their story. And they said, Doris, we can't do that. We we can't just talk to people that we don't know and ask them what they're doing here. We can't do that. So finally, um, after three or four days, uh, Doris had met somebody and she talked to him and she said, Listen, I'm a film director um, and uh, I want you to come and you do my class this afternoon. I'll give you my salary for the afternoon, 100 euros. And I want you to tell my students uh, your story that you've told me and share that with them." So he came and I said, "'Doris, what language were you talking?' And he, he said, "'Well, he knew French and most of my students know enough French to listen to the French." And like, okay. Um, and he told them in exquisite detail how he'd um, uh, gotten to the Canary Islands and, you know, he'd been on some little boat and, you know, this, horrible, horrible circumstances and almost dying any number of times and finally got to the Canary Islands and then, and at some point after about 45 minutes, he said, and you, you are the first people who have had the slightest interest in my story. And everybody in the room started crying. He started crying and everybody started crying. And here's all the students who hadn't wanted to ask anybody about their story. And Doris asked everybody about their story. What's your story? Uh, so we were at a um, uh, publicity and an interview, and I said, um, and, the, and the woman was interviewing us. She was talking to Doris. Well, she was talking to both of us in English. And she said, so Doris, how long have you been practicing meditation? And Doris said, oh, 15, 16 years. And the interviewer was about to go on, I said, and I was sitting there, and I go like, uh, Doris, excuse me. But nobody just starts, what happened that you started meditating? (laughs) The interviewer hadn't asked that. The interviewer was going to go on to something else. I said, Doris, what went wrong? (laughs) Because if everything's going well, you don't go to meditation. (laughs) If you have enough savvy in this horizontal world that, you know, you've got it together and you're cooking and, you know, you don't meditate, I mean, come on. Because you're savvy, and you're somebody, and you know. Um, and Dora said, my husband was diagnosed with terminal uh, colon cancer and given three months to live, and I didn't know what to do. And we had a two-year-old baby. And I was just beside myself, and I, I, I couldn't sit down, and I couldn't think, and I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. I was just... Uh, terrified. And then somebody sent me this little book uh, about meditation that basically said sit down, shut up. (laughs) Don't move. And she said, I tried it. It helped. (laughs) It helps with being with all of that but it doesn't help then what do you do? It helps, you, it helps you come to yourself, to you know, enough that something comes from you about what to do. How to be with the situation. She's still in her office in Munich, has a shrine room for her husband. Her daughter's now 25, living in Berlin. Uh, and, but also my point in bringing this up is You know, because things are so difficult, things are so challenging uh, in our lives, whether it's, um, you know, being sick. I also, uh, you know, on the 2nd of January, um, it's not even my cat, but it's the neighbor's cat. But it had become our cat, too. And it was over at our house all the time. And then the neighbor said, no, it was at our house all the time. No, it was at our... And so everybody seemed to think this cat was at their house all the time. It was an amazing cat. And we've, one of the, my partner, Margo, first met this cat, was chasing a stag down the street. The stag didn't have any idea it was being chased by a cat, but the cat was... And the other remarkable story about this cat is one day, she's, Margo, my partner's driving down the street and somebody starts waving, waving, stop, stop. She stops and, she says, and the person says, did you know you have a cat riding on the roof of your car? <laughs> And that was the second time this cat had been riding on the roof of the car because then the, the owner told us, we told the owners, and they said, "Oh well, the cat was, I, I was driving by the Fairfax hardware store and then I happened to glance in the window of the hardware store and there was the cat on the roof of my car, of my truck. I, I had to drive him back home again. <laughs> so this was just an awesome, awesome cat. And then the husband of the family, whose, whose cat it was, used to tell his wife, you don't understand how awesome this cat is because I grew up with cats and this is your first cat, but this is an awesome cat. We all agreed that this is an awesome cat. And the 2nd of January, the, I looked at the window, I thought it was a piece of trash, a white plastic bag, and it turned out it was the cat. We were just so devastated. So whether it's, you know, you're your health, your happiness, you know, your work, your relationships. There's all these things that don't seem to work anywhere near as well as we'd like them to. And the big question is, is that because something is wrong with you? You know, is that does that come back to shame? If I was just a better person, these things wouldn't be happening? I thought that about the war in Iraq. I've The war in Iraq, I mean, not the war in Iraq, but, you know, the 9-11 happened... On the 30th anniversary of my ordination as a Zen priest, September the 11th, now we're always together. And then the war in Iraq came and I thought, I guess my, my practice is not good for much, is it? They're still having wars. I thought, you know, if after practicing for 35, 30, 35 years and more and sitting and meditating, and I thought the world would be a better place. Maybe it is, but you, you, know, it, you can't assess it. You can't measure. So if, any of, if we look at any you know the things going on in our life and in the world, and we like, what does that mean about me? And if I was a better person, these things wouldn't be happening. It's not quite right, is it? So we're all incredible spiritual beings. If, when we settle inside, connect up and down, And we're precious, we're each of us precious. And in this world, things don't work. (laughs) And it's not, it's not, you know, and we can learn to do things better, but and, you know, we can study, uh, you know, relationship skills and communication skills and cooking and uh, all kinds of things. but we're still living in this horizontal world where things don't work as well as we'd like them to, even though we're a precious person. So, um, I want to encourage you, um, as I often do, um, you know, not to, think, to not be thinking that your skill at this horizontal world and making everything work well and perfectly Is what makes you feel good about yourself because you you it won't it won't doesn't work like that does it You'll have to feel good about yourself because You're you're a precious person Inside when you go inside and you sit inside you realize you're a precious person and you're doing the best you can to handle all of this and Things don't always work There's the cat and you you didn't There's your husband who's terminal cancer we just had the Abbot of Zen Center. Steve Stuckey just died of pancreatic cancer. He had a few months. He diagnosed and he had a few months to take care of his affairs. He did his work with his students. A day or two before he died, he he was at his home in Monarch Park. They set up a Skype. And all the students at the city center, one by one, came up to the computer on the Skype and bowed to Steve in Ronert Park. So he took care of his uh, relationships as best he could, bowing to people Um, I'm reminded of of um, two other uh, expressions in Zen that I appreciate. Um, One of them I I put on the dedication page of my new book. Um, The Zen Master Dishan said, Realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grasp an ordinary person's life. Each of us is an ordinary person. Uh, and, you know, ordinary, we have ordinary issues and problems and difficulties and challenges because that's the nature of this world. Uh, and there's something very challenging about being an ordinary person. You know, rather than uh, somebody who's especially capable of uh, fixing things, uh, we do the best we can. Um, to take care of our lives and one another. Um, And uh, that's what we can do as ordinary people, um, making our best effort. And uh, that doesn't guarantee, um, you know, any particular results. And still we make our best effort. We give our heart to things uh, and do the best we can. So I appreciate... um, your uh, presence here tonight you're uh, making your best effort you're giving your heart to things and studying how to do that it's a lifetime's work to shift from your head doing what's right doing what you're supposed to do to dreaming up what to do from your heart from your felt sense the second chakra what is your felt sense what is in your heart suzuki roshi said settle the self on the self you know we're Kabir said, uh, "Enter into your body, find a solid base to put your feet." Um, so, thank you for making your best effort. I Wish you many blessings and having a good evening. Thank you.
1: Where's your talk? Or
0: your book reading? Oh, the book reading. You should. You know. You should give me your email address. I'll send you the email. It's a, it's on it's on I Street and on the fifteenth of September. I Street of what town? San Rafael. One oh two. Three to six. February fifteenth. Does your
1: book sell anywhere else other than? Uh, it'll be in it'll in be in Amazon stores. It, it'll
0: be eventually. I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's in Amazon yet, but it'll eventually. Yeah. that you're the